0: Welcome to Hit for Six Lockdown Episode Three. We're back again. It's me, Rob Starman, with me, Michael Kinniston. Michael,
1: how are you today? I'm good, Rob. I've absolutely loved this last week of sunshine. Uh, there's been a little bit today, which I've tried to get make the most of, stick my head out the window, and I'm getting ready for the rain to come. How about you?
0: Yeah, okay. Today's been a, a tough day at work. Um, won't go into it too much. Don't want to bore people about car insurance, but uh, but not the best. But uh, a nice way to round off the day by planning about cricket, spending a bit of time with you. Uh, I'm going to say that the idea of Hit for Six got you through. Got you it through, did the day. It did indeed. And all our, our, our many tens of listeners out there who I know are <laughs> wondering what's happened to this week's episode. We didn't have time to record it over the weekend. Uh, well, this week we thought we'd do, um, do a little one looking back on England's winter of cricket. We haven't so far yeah. in the first few episodes discussed how England got on both in New Zealand and in South Africa over the winter. And so I thought this would be the, the perfect opportunity to do so. Michael, go on, give us a, a headline. How would you say England's winter went? After such a famous summer, winning the World Cup, and I actually assumed they didn't win, but that was certainly a memorable one. How, how did England's winter um, ma- sort of
1: measure up to the, to the summer? Surprisingly solid, is how i describe it. And I'm mainly referring to the top-order batting. But, yeah, surprisingly solid, fairly positive, I'd say. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I'd, for me, I'd go mixed.
0: I, in, yeah, I'd, maybe a six out of ten. I thought, um, yeah, there some good, there's some good – we'll talk about it, obviously, more in depth in a bit. But the, uh, the top-order batting, much improved, certainly. But uh, a lot of things to be desired. I mean, we lost pretty comprehensively in that first test in New Zealand. Yes, we won a series away in South Africa, but they were dreadful. And even the limited over stuff. Some great 2020 games, uh, you know, good series there. But the, the one there's against South Africa weren't brilliant. It didn't feel like we were the, the all-conquering um, limited over side that we have been previously. Uh, so, um, yeah, maybe, maybe a five, six out of ten. The, the, the top order um, improvements in the test team may, may be saving it.
1: But you know what, Rob? I'm, more fi- I'm, I'm a more fickle fan than you. I'd almost forgotten the New Zealand thrashing of that first test. Because I was just so excited about the fact we found not one, not two, but potentially three openers. Um, but no, you're right; it was a it was definitely a mixed winter. I'd say my memories of the one days and T20s was overwhelmingly positive. Maybe not just because of the results, but because they were all pretty they were all very exciting games. So I guess that's sort of stuck in my memory a lot of thrillers. Um And yeah, I mean South Africa were rubbish. But their bowling set was decent and, you know, two flawed batting lineups, And still, to do it away, I think it's pretty impressive. Um, they, were, they were pants, it has to be said. But I still felt, it still felt like a very important winter for Root. And I think it also felt like an important winter for Root in terms of runs. Because after his pretty awful 2019, by his standards, in the, in the Test game, his double time in the second New Zealand Test, I felt, it felt like what a big moment for him. Um, his celebration kind of dis- showed that, a lot of relief. What do you think?
0: Uh, yeah, kind of. I mean, yes and sense, I think definitely a big winter and a good winter for Root in terms of uh, as a captain. I felt the last series was the first time we had a really kind of authentic Joe Root side with Sibley and Burns performing well and, and Pope obviously now looking like a top, top player. It kind of, it, it no longer did it feel like an Alistair Cook team captain by Joe Root, but very much like Joe Root's team going forward. So I think in that sense, he made good strides. You kind of felt like he, stepped, he um, stamped his mark on the team. But from a batting point of view, I'm not so sure because, I mean, great, he got a big double hundred on a flat deck in New Zealand in a, in a drawn test that had draw written all over it from quite early on. And then in the South Africa series, it was the kind of the same old 350s, average 45, batted quite well, but it wasn't a kind of a, a dominant performance given that South Africa weren't great and that we were pretty dominant throughout. For for me it was great one big knock in a fairly innocuous test match doesn't kind of right wrongs for you know for kind of a generally poorer last year or you know it's still for me it still feels like it's the same old Joe Root he's our best player he's always going to get 50s he's always going to get runs but where is that kind of true world leading batsman that we kind of hoped he'd be where he's scoring a test match, a century every other test match, you know, dominating games, dominating series. He's just not quite doing that still. So, I, you know, I'm hesitant to say it was a a big breakthrough for him with a bat, but certainly as a captain, it was a good one for him.
1: Yeah, I'd say that on the, on the captaincy side, in particular, right. it really felt like it was an approach that he was on top of in terms of the captaincy, in terms of the big shift back towards more traditional test match batting. Um, Seen by the new picks in in the bat in the starting eleven, and I just it felt for me it felt like even though it was a bit of a mixed winter, it felt like the beginning of a potential new era. And obviously, all of the chat now is building up towards the next Ashes in Australia. So some people would say that Root shouldn't be leading us there. He's not, you know, he shouldn't be the captain. But I think for for the time being, he is going to be the captain. He is building towards that series, and it felt like a semi-positive start towards that, especially considering it was such a big shift from from the way we had been playing our Test cricket. Um, And I think maybe I was just, I had a sense of relief that at least we were shaping out to play in the right way that will lead to success in the Test arena, rather than this whole, like, you know, mixing the one-day side, go hard, two aggressive players in the top three that we had on the list that just sort of proved in the end to not work. So I guess that's why I've come away feeling a bit more positive about it. I remember when we were 12 for none after 10 overs in the first New Zealand test, I said to my housemate, like, this is lovely. This is exactly <laughs> what I want to see right now. And obviously we've got spanks in that test, but still. Yeah, I think that's why I came away feeling a bit more positive maybe than you did. Well, I mean, uh, I, was,
0: I was fast asleep 10 overs into that test match because it was obviously it was an evening evening start our time. And kind of had TMS plugged in, lying in bed. I listened to the start of the game. To, Two overs in, I was, I was fast asleep. Very little had happened. And uh,
1: so, um,
0: yeah, well, maybe that is how, how it should be. And yeah, of course, it wasn't just a, a series for Root as captain or a winter for Root as captain. It was the first um, series with um, a new coach, Chris Silverwood, yeah. taking over as coach. And you definitely felt that emphasis on, on batting, on that kind of more watchful, traditional test match batting uh, had, had his hallmark that's certainly the way feel he, he feels that this team is going to be successful going forward over the next few years you know ideally although I think it's pie in the sky winning an Ashes series down under in a, in a couple of winters time that, that's the kind of yeah. way we've got to bat and I think, I think from his point of view it was a pretty positive start the New Zealand series was disappointing but it, it was only a two match series after all and you know, lost the first one so comprehensively you kind of the best you can do from there is draw it um is draw the series and, and draw in that second test to lose one nil I don't think was desperately disappointing and then to follow it up with the the win in South Africa, you know you, you feel it was a, a positive step for, for him personally and, and maybe the team can um yeah yeah can can move can move on all the better. Go on, who, who do you think were the, were the were the standout players for England then this, this winter who You had picked three players do you think well they really stood up and said I'm here to be in the England team for a long time. I'm a
1: top England player. Who would they be? So, can I just quickly? Can we just jointly condemn two Test series as the worst thing? Oh. Like they're just so frustrating. The point- there's no closure. There's no momentum. There's nothing to build up to. It's just so flat and disappointing. Yeah, minimum, just- minimum, minimum three Tests always. I don't have a narrative. I don't mind a one-off
0: one test. I don't mind like the Ireland test we had at Lords. I do not mind maybe a one-off if things fancy throwing one in like that. But the two are series, it. series. It's it's kind of they are pointless. And you felt England after drawing that last one on, oh, maybe they could have a third one, maybe they could win that one and draw it one all, and that would be a nice result. But they just didn't have the opportunity. It was they had to go from nothing getting pumped by the innings to winning a test in order to salvage anything but a draw from a series and it, particularly with this world test championship where every series is worth the same amount of points suddenly a single test match in a two match series becomes worth so much more than a test in a five match series which itself I think is uh, Yeah, no. yeah no, I'm, I fully condemn them and uh, will never ever support them
1: so no for me um, I think you, know, you asked me for my three players that had yeah. really written themselves into the team so yeah, over the week, one, over both one, series. Over both series? Okay, all right. Um, well, the New Zealand series... I don't know why, all my standout memories from those two series are from South Africa. I would just... Well, I would say... Yeah, I know, I'm a typical fan. Uh, <laughs> so right, Root cemented himself in that New Zealand series. Um, I would say that Dom Sibley, across the two series, you know, showed that he could be someone who's there for a while. He was a bit disappointed in the New Zealand series. He got a few tens, you know, sort of mini starts. And, you, were, you know, you were starting to get a little bit worried or was it not going to happen for him. So I think when he got that time in South Africa, it was a real relief. Um, and I wouldn't, meant, I wouldn't say Zach Crawley's in these three because he only made a couple of fifties. But he looked decent. He looked all right. The number two would be Olly Pope because he just looked class throughout both series. He just looked a touch above. He looked absolutely wonderful. He'll be batting higher than six, I'm sure. Soon, I'm sure. Not too soon, because you don't want to rush it. But no, he looked unbelievable. His jumping cuts were a wonderful thing to watch. Um, And he's just got such quick hands. Yeah, they were fantastic. And then I'm tempted to say, even though it's a bit boring, he's obviously not writing himself into the team, he's already completely in it. But I mean, Stokes had a wonderful South Africa series. But I think for me, actually, the really heartening thing to see was the return of Mark Wood. Um, the return of Mark Wood bowling really quickly after he must have been absolutely gutted to miss out on the Ashes after a very good World Cup. And uh, in that final, I think it was the final South Africa test, he absolutely tore through there, tore through their lineup in the first innings, took five for. And yeah, I'd say Mark Wood, Pope, and Sibley were the three standout of the not quite, you know, permanent fixtures. How about you? Yeah,
0: similar. Uh, so for me, the number one's Pope, undoubtedly. I mean, in that South Africa series, he averaged, what, 88? It's called 100, a couple of 50s. He just looks like such a, like a player with the potential to become a really dominant player. Like a, a player you feel when coming in at six can take the game away from teams consistently in a way that we kind of always hoped that Berstow or Butler would do, but they've never quite done. For me, Hope already looks like a kind of player who is going to be doing that regularly. Uh, And yeah, I think now for me, any time if he if he doesn't, he should always be picked when fit. If he doesn't get picked, I think there's going to be serious questions asked because over over the course of both series, got a good fifty in New Zealand as well. You just felt that you know this is the time where he got picked a couple of winters, a couple of summers ago, and it didn't he didn't quite work out. Now he's ready and ready to
1: to shine for a long period of time. It wasn't quite a fair opportunity, you felt, when he got picked because he was batting six for Surrey, and he suddenly got plonked into bat, against, bat four against India, and it didn't feel—it's a very, very good India seam attack. And It didn't really feel like he had a fair opportunity, and it's, and that was his first proper season of counter cricket, I think. So yeah, he looked absolutely class.
0: Yeah, and it, it felt as well like they kind of—they dropped him in just to just to give him a go, see how he go. Almost as if the plan wasn't for him then to play ever more, but so just to kind of pick him. And it didn't quite work out. Well, he's, he's, the next time he's around, he's used to it. He's been in the environment. It felt like one of those kind of, we'll throw him in once, see how he goes. And then maybe pick him at a, pick him at a later date. It's something that England rugby is quite, quite fond of doing. And it had that kind of, had that feel to it. Uh, and perhaps it worked in this case. Sometimes, I'm not a huge fan of picking players before they're ready or, or just putting them into the sake of it. But it does feel that, yeah, now he's, he's all primed to be a, a, a top player for years to come. And my second one would, yeah, lie you, be, be Mark Woods, And he's obviously been around the England team for a long time, but uh, the way he stepped in when Joffre kind of dropped out the second half of the South Africa series through injury. And yeah, I mean, I've got his stats up here. He took in those um, second two test matches he played in, took 12 wickets of 13.5. um, strike rate under 30. Yeah, it was a really you know, top, top performance. And after, in his first kind of, Couple of stints in the England team. I don't think he, he didn't get a fifer in a Test match for a long time. He used to get maybe a couple of wickets here, maybe two or three wickets every so often, and it was often, uh, unsurprisingly, Broad and Anderson who were the ones taking the majority of the wickets. But this first time, we really stood up as not that third seamer, but as a real kind of leader of an England bowling attack. Not necessarily the leader, but like one of the the leaders. Yeah, and so, you know, as you look, look ahead to the summer and into, well, this summer's not really going to happen, is it, sadly? But we look ahead to um, future test series, you know, there's less of a, well, it's Broad and Anderson and then who, or even, you know, Joffre, Broad and Anderson, then who. You feel Mark Woods now right in that conversation, me thinking, right, we could pick Joffre Archer, Mark Woods, Broad, and then maybe another. You know, we've got three quality scene bowlers. Uh, obviously, if providing they all stay fit. But yeah, so for me, I think though there's really like I mean, now now when Mark Wood's fit, he's got to play. I think mean, we can always then we might choose to manage him so he doesn't over bowl because he is injury prone. But he's definitely when fit and in a big game, you feel he's surely getting selected because he he proved himself this winter to be a a top a top performer really off the back of what had been a really good summer last summer. Obviously, primarily bowling in the World Cup, but he, he looked ready to have a good Ashes. Of course, wasn't able to play. Uh, but yeah, so. I so for me, yeah, he he was the second one. and the third one's Roy Burns. I felt for me when I realised how key he was to England was when he then got injured and had to pull out of the rest of the South series. And it yeah. felt like it felt like a big player was injured. In a way that you thought previously of Roy Burns, yeah, he's all right, you know, he's done okay. But after he scored another another good series in New Zealand, got another hundred, it had a good ashes, he thought it was all he was really by the end of that New Zealand series, like he all, Burns definitely plays. Yeah, so no. There was that sense of, oh no, uh, which for me kind of yeah confirmed. He, I mean, he's definitely England's go-to opener in Test cricket now.
1: So yeah, that's fair. I mean, there's a there's a few other interesting spots to talk about. But the spinners, question of though, the intriguing enigma that is Joe Denley in Test cricket. But um, just very quickly, obviously Burns got injured playing football before the game. What's your take on players playing football before the game? Because obviously now England have banned it. Actually, Giles came in very hard off that Burns injury. So what do you think?
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't
1: know. I, not, my dad was very pleased with the ban. My, my dad was... Know you know, dad. We need to get them on. They'll just be agreeing
0: with each other yeah, the entire yeah. show. Banging, you know, fist, um, banging his fist on the table. That's ridiculous. Why don't they play football? But from what <laughs> I've seen, I don't know if this is true, but when I was watching it on a... On, on telly and you look at, look at them it looks like they're playing football in spikes when they warm up Which, if that's the case it's really stupid because the whole point of spikes is they're designed to limit the movement on your ankles so if you're bowling and stuff you don't turn your ankle but to play football in them would be just so dumb so if that's what they're doing then that's definitely a bad idea but I, I, I don't know I, I think playing football as a warm up I don't have a problem with it I think you want to enjoy the warm up and so often People don't. And so I, th- I think there are definitely worse ways of going about warming up. And, and I felt that actually Giles kind of banning it was one of those like knee-jerk reactions, kind of token reactions. Ah, oh, let's see what we're doing. Um, <clears throat> rather than uh, actually thought through kind of pros and cons of the whole playing football before, before a game or not. So, yeah, if they're playing spikes, that is just so stupid beggars believe. But if, but if they're not I'm playing trainers I,
1: I, I'm inclined to say you know let them crack on but so I'm, I would yeah I'd come to sort of a happy medium no spikes obviously and then you play a very you know a sensible version of football no big tackles you know a couple of touches fairly low contact and you can still have fun with that without having any unnecessary injury I mean I remember once being at a game and watching them warm up and um Stuart Broder just flying into every challenge two footed, and it was just you're watching it going, Why? Why? Yeah, that is <laughs> steep. I mean, I think I know you think Dan's a big fan of
0: those kind of those, those no tackling, uh, like sort of f- football drills, lots of mini games where you can only it's all passing and interceptions between the gaps, which I know isn't as fun as like a proper footy match between your mates kind of thing because I know how a lot of the players take it but maybe something more along those lines one which is where you kind of basically play football but without the, without the tackles without the potentially injury leading collisions that's, I mean, definitely, that'd be- that's definitely a funner warm up than, than others unless they go back to of course everyone's favourite the old hand hockey that's what they need to be doing <laughs> That's all no contact and you know, gets the hands warmed up. Classic cricket um, warm up. So maybe actually, um, maybe I'll, I'll flip-flop on it. Scrap the football, compulsory
1: hand hockey before every England game. Very quick change in direction. It's a good thing you're not wearing spikes otherwise you might have done your ankle.
0: Yeah, well no, um, exactly. And so I, I, I think the photo Burns had him in spikes, which is, which is baffling. That no, is stupid.
1: doesn't um, make sense. I mean, he um, immediately came up and said afterwards he's never played football before a game again because he must have just been so gutted. You know, yeah, he's finally um, earned it. Like you said, he's a senior player. They're bang out for months and he watches his replacement, Zach Crawley, do quite well. So yeah, he must have been absolutely... Yeah, I mean, do okay. Do not not do enough to unseat him. No, definitely um, not yeah, promising. And actually, the question of Roy Burns is an interesting one because, you know, I mentioned earlier that Joe Root, some would say shouldn't be the England captain. And i thought that sometimes. I don't think he's an actual captain. I don't think he's captain much in age group and he didn't captain Yorkshire much, like once or twice before England. Um, and I was say, you know, if you want maybe on the best of route, maybe not as captain. And there's very few alternatives, but I've always said Roy Burns is one of the most credible alternatives because he's captained Surrey very well the last few years. He is now one of the leading batsmen, even though he's not been around for that long. And there's injuries set him back. But I've always thought actually in the fairly sp- sparse pool that is. The England players for captaincy. I think Roy Burns is a fairly decent shout.
0: Oh yeah, I think he's undoubtedly probably the best the best option after off, off the route for all those things he'd say. Set, you know, he's unlikely to lose his place in the team. He's pre, he's now had a couple of years test experience. He's a very experienced county captain. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, perhaps he is. I I, I think I'm running saying that Stokes, Stokes and Butler
1: the vice captains. Stokes is the vice captain again. I think Stokes has got it back. Um, I well, think that kind of feels like uh, Stokes is the vice-captain, because he's the other best you really. captain. Uh, you don't want to make Stokes your captain. It'd be too much for him. No, um, the other two, I'd say, interesting points to talk about, other than uh, the elephant in the room, joffrey but we'll, we'll get to that. Um, the other two interesting points I'd want to talk about were Don Bess's performance, actually. Don Bess's performance and the pressure that puts on Jack Leach. Because I'd say Don Best did really well in that South Africa series.
0: Because he, he, to cool he took the first five wickets, and uh, you know he even admitted himself he was thinking about taking all ten, which is delusion <laughs> of the grandeur when you look at the dismissals and none of them turned, none of them did anything. It was just this hapless South well, African batting lineup walking out, giving their wickets away. I mean, he did. He, he bowled accurately. Um, he bowled in good areas, but he's not a big spinner of the ball. Uh, he doesn't. You know, he, he did really well. He's younger than Lee. He's highly rated, um, I know, within the England setup, and they think he could be a good option going forward. But he's not a, a big spinner of the ball, which just makes me think you know, is he therefore going to be the kind of guy that's going to bowl out a team on day five, like Swan used to do regularly, and even like Panasar used to do fairly consistently at one stage? You know, we, we still, it feels like we don't have a spinner like that.
1: No, I would agree. And for me, obviously, he didn't do enough to displace Leach because, like you said, it was a lot of cases of bad batting rather than wonderful bowling. But he did do a very good job. And I would say Jack Leach is an interesting one because, obviously, he became an absolute cult hero last summer. Uh, you know, with the spec fame and playing his part in that head and win. But he did all right in the Ashes. He didn't tear up any trees, did he? Like, he did okay. He took, what, I think around 10 wickets at an average of the high 20s. And he did a decent holding role but again he hasn't torn through it and then he had a bit of a blighted winter with his um, Crohn's disease it really, and I think he got hit really hard by that bug going around in South Africa didn't he so he had to go home early Yeah. so he's not. his place isn't certain in the team he obviously would have been one of the spinners if we'd gone to Sri Lanka as with Bess but there's definitely not a spinner who's absolutely stamped their claim on it at the moment
0: yeah, and, and of course, you know, Moon Alley floating around, back within the England setup. You felt the Sri Lanka series could have been a good, a good time to identify, maybe, allow one of them, who, who's going to be the one who's going to stand up and be counted. Uh, but alas, uh, our favourite pandemic um, <laughs> put a stop at yet another sporting event. And uh, I feel it's one of the sporting events that kind of has gone less noticed. England's tour in Sri Lanka you know Phil with the climax of the football season rugby the Six Nations getting called early and then the English summer being thrown into that cricket summer plus everything else you know the Grand Prix the tennis the golf this much anticipated series in Sri Lanka has kind of fallen by the wayside really Uh, but it would have been a really interesting one I think that maybe would have been one of the most interesting things to come out of it who would have been England's number one spinner going into a summer where we only we certainly only would have picked one uh, but alas One of those ones we'll, we'll never know Who would have performed best
1: It would have also been A very interesting one In terms of wicket keepers Because folks have finally Got his recall Long overdue To the squad He's going to be reserved reserve wicket keeper Wasn't he But he might well Have got a game Considering how important It is to have a good Keeper out there And the keeping situation Is a really interesting One at the moment Isn't it Because Butler's got the gloves Whether we think he should Or not And then Folkes is waiting As official backup Right now Judging by the last squad And then Bearstow's Simmering somewhere so what's your take on it? My take on it is Bairstow should be, the gloves should be taken off Bearstow as they have been and he should just be told to get back in as a batsman.
0: Yeah, um, couldn't agree more. Uh, I, as far as I'm concerned, really, I think folks should have been the ones to play in Sri Lanka. He did so well when we were there last time, which wasn't that long ago. Uh, and, and really, Bester and Butler both, um, have both had so many opportunities and have consistently failed to deliver over and over again. I mean, I'm, again, looking at Butler's stats... In the four tests in South Africa, where in three of them, we were dominant and won very comfortably. And where the whole excuse previously for them had been, well, they're coming in so early. The top order aren't setting a platform. But in these tests, the top order did consistently set a platform. And yet Butler, yet again, averaged 16, a top score of 29. Bearstone, his test, scored, um, scored 10 runs over the two innings, a high score of nine. Yeah, they had opportunity after opportunity. They consistently haven't delivered. They've obviously been fantastic players in the one Day set are the key players in our World Cup win. But, but for me, it's yeah, it's folks. And, and I was thinking, what would my test team be going forward? I don't think uh, there'd really be a place for, um, for either of them, in, the, in my eyes. They've just consistently not performed. And with Pope now coming in as an obvious six, folks at seven, and then you've got the bowlers. Yeah, I I I think it's it potentially time-up yeah. for both of them until they start to prove yeah. that they're, they're good enough in longer formats of cricket to play for England and perform consistently.
1: So for me, I think it might actually just be time-up total for Butler in terms of test cricket. I think so many chances. He's so, so wonderful in short of format. And there's a T20 World Cup coming up and all that. I really wouldn't be thinking about Butler coming in that test team for quite a long time, in my opinion. Whereas though, I still have hope for as a batsman, Test-wise, I still feel like if he just knuckled down, he just in the attitude problems about the keeping went away, and he just accepted he was going to get into the team as a batsman. I feel like he could, he's definitely good enough to be in that batting lineup. Um, so for me, that's a really frustrating one. But you're right; he wouldn't be in my first eleven at the moment.
0: But of course, with Ed Smith as selector, Joss has always got to look in because I mean, I was in a a Q&A with Ed Smith last year and he was, he just could not speak high enough about Joss Butler. Inadvertently, over <laughs> in the course of the evening, he compared him to Viv Richards, Brian Lara and David de Villiers. Um, <laughs> which just kind of, I think, paints a picture of how highly he rates um, Joss as a player. And,
1: yeah,
0: uh, yeah I, 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 I think therefore he's, he's going to be in and around the, the test squad for a long time because I while Ed Smith has the same selection, because I think he's just so convinced that he, he's good enough talent-wise to make it and therefore yeah. you know, has to play. But it, but it, like you said, I think like he's so many opportunities and has delivered so infrequently that uh it's kind of it's, it's, delus- it's delusional to think that he's gonna that's gonna change any any anytime soon really. And he, he's an one, test, well. one test hundred
1: one test hundred and seventy-three innings.
0: That, yeah. That's really
1: poor. I mean, it's one more test 100 than none of us are going to get. But it's also 73 more chances than any of us are going to get. So, yeah, well, i know. speak to yourself, Michael, on both fronts. You never know, mate. You never know. Um, <laughs> so I guess the final thing is there's a of McPride, isn't there? Because he's Ed Smith's pick. He was Ed Smith, slightly renegade, slightly off-the-wall pick. And he doesn't want to admit it hasn't worked. He <laughs> yeah, did work and
0: he did okay at first because he got a decent number of 50s having said the 100, he's got 15 50s, or if you include the 100, 16 scores of 50-plus while on the Test team. And so, you know, he had a few 50s. He was batting quite low down, performing okay. I kind of could see why they gave him another go. But I think now, now time, is, time is up for him, sadly.
1: Yeah, I'd agree. Um, and just a final um, one to talk about for me and this team is the, the, the enigma that is Joe Denley. Um he, he gets starts. He so often gets starts. He came so close to getting that ton in the ashes. But he just can't get over the line. And it's not as if he's a young whippersnapper. His bowling hasn't proved to be particularly useful. I mean, what's your opinion? I kind of, I still like him. In my uh, first day, I, don't I don't know, know what it
0: is. is. I don't know if it's, it's his little he's smile... Smiling. Or what, I, I, I really like him. I think I would still pick him. I'm not going to, I don't I think, think he's quite ready. There's no
1: statistical proof for it.
0: And so if, Yeah, for, yeah for, I mean, for, for me, he, he, he's still England's best bet at number three, which is dreadful because he's not that good. But I, I don't know, I like him. And that drop catch off Joffre in the New Zealand series, just made me like him even more. Because that's, <laughs> kind of, that's the kind of catch I'd drop. And so maybe i am to him. That was funny. Yeah, I know, yeah, it's such a good deal. And he's taken some incredible catches, including for
1: England. Uh, one oh, at diving, I, I was there. It was past him. And it wasn't unbelievable. Yeah. And he dropped sleep like, So yeah.
0: It's very, so bad. So you know, I I say let's give him one more go. And there's something I think there's something I feel like he he adds a a stability thing in team, being that little bit older, being that little bit more mature. You know, I just wonder if it's sometimes a bit of a brash reckless England team, they maybe having a slightly older member of the team, you know, high up the batting order, because I still in many ways see Root as slightly petulant. Stokes is certainly quite like an emotional player in many ways. And so, having, I, was having, I feel like Joey Denny in there is a stabilising factor. I mean, if he scores, if he doesn't score any runs um, in his next series, again, I would have said if he didn't score any runs this summer, but that's not going to happen. So, in, in the next series, then it's probably, there it probably is curtains for him. But I don't know, I, I, I like him. He's got, as I said, he's got a nice smile, nice dimples. He's, uh, he seems like a good bloke. Uh, I, I reckon, pick him, keep him in there.
1: If he does score a ton, it will be absolutely scenes. Um, we'll, be, we'll be cheering. Yeah, um, and and the team cool. on the balcony. You can imagine it. They'll be absolutely loving it. Yeah, as, they know, be. as somebody does it. There'll be tears. Um, and then I guess final thing, I, I mentioned the elephant in the room earlier because we've been, we, we spoke about this briefly. You know, when me and Rob talk about doing the podcast, this is a very professional production. We have a chat a few days before. We think about what we're going to talk about, you know, to make sure the listeners get a good show. All the tens of them. And we were speaking about the Joffre issue. And it's obviously, it's an interesting one, isn't it, Rob? Because he had a wonderful summer. I watched the YouTube video the other day of Joffa's best moments uh, in the England shirt over the summer. Won us the World Cup, 20-odd wickets in the Ashes. He was incredible. And then he came down to earth with a bump a little bit in the winter, ending with a stress thatched to the elbow. What are your thoughts on the winter?
0: Uh, well, I mean, in many ways, we, we agree with a huge amount of it. And there's a good ask you shared me with by... Um... Gladly, Barney. The party Roney. With Bar- Barney Rooney. This um,
1: is good as Jonathan. Right.
0: And it was, um, it was. I mean, it was an excellent article. And made really, made some really important points. Just, the, he'd been really badly managed. And I, I, I was just thinking, it got me thinking. If you, you look at how Australia in the last summer, like rotated those fast bowlers, Cummings, Hazelwood, and Stark in particular. And they kind of, you know, they really keep an eye on them, manage their workload, pick the right players for the right conditions, make sure they're they're primed and ready. I, I used feel that's something England haven't done at all with Joffa. They just kept picking him. They pick him in every game, whenever he's fit. He's balled more overs than anyone. Even though he had a bit of an injury, this injury elbow, through going into the World Cup, made him play through the whole World Cup, rightly, because it's a home World Cup, huge moment, made him play through the whole Ashes, rightly. It's a home Ashes series. There's a few things that matter more. But then, pick him for both tests in New Zealand, and then kind of forcing Australia to test series in South Africa, it, it just felt like there was no sense of managing his workload, his, uh, you know, his body. And I'm not forgetting he's a young man with not a huge amount of test experience. Yeah, all it, first class experience. Yeah, first class experience. It, it just felt like, uh, I, feel, I feel one's going to be he's been very harsh to point the finger at Joffre at any stage. You know, he's, he, he's been within weeks, within months of becoming an England player badly managed and, and led to being England for the longest period of time and, and the England team weaker for it. So, yeah, I, uh, I think yeah. that's kind of a shame and there's <laughs> lessons have got to be learned from an England point of view. For him and Wood we've now got two genuinely top quality fast bowlers. When do we use them together? When do we play just one? Who plays in what series? How many games do they play? All those things need to be looked at very carefully because otherwise we're just going to have you know, a, a, top, a top race car that's Constantly in the, um, at, at the mechanics, sort of, you know, getting repaired and getting fixed and never at the tip, in the tip-top condition that we, we, we want.
1: No, you're absolutely right. I mean, that first test against South Africa, he got five for and he bowled well, but it was a fairly, you know, fattish deck and he bowled 40 overs, was it? He bowled an unbelievable amount of overs. The most overs out of any of the players he kept coming in and it felt like poor management at the time from Root. And then there was this stress fracture of the elbow, which wasn't coming up in the scans. And from different reports you read, you got the sense that he was being asked to play through the pain. And there was sort of a, "Well, it's not coming up the scans. What is it?" And then he took part in that bowl off, didn't he? With Wokes and Wood, and he could only bowl like 75, 80. And he came away from it apparently in tears after not, you know, being able to get to anywhere near top speed. And you kind of you question, like, like you said, Robbie's bowled all those overs. Why is he doing this bowl off if he's saying he's injured? But he, he, and then I guess people could say, well, Joffrey should have said he didn't want to do it. But if you're a young player and you've got the chance to play and you're saying take part in this oh. bowl, you're probably going to say yes, aren't you? Yeah, you're never going to say, oh, I'm not going to do it. I mean,
0: when it's kind of like, do you want to play or not? You know, he's, As much as in some people's minds, he's like a first name on the team sheet. In his own mind, he won't be. He hasn't been around for that long. And he hasn't, I mean, I think he can probably justifiably feel pretty nailed on to play in some of the one-dayers. I mean, given not only his his record with England but also his uh his record around the world and you know kind of franchise cricket and that kind of thing but he's as a test player he had a good ashes but you don't feel like he's a nailed on player he didn't do that well in New Zealand in fact he did pretty poorly he averaged you know gave over a hundred with the ball in the end um so yeah so then going against Wokes and Wood who are two accomplished international players in their own right of course he's he's gonna want to do well want to perform want to kind of show his fit but if he's been saying it's not because You've got to listen. You've got to trust players. They know their bodies. It's not like he's going to be faking it or, wanting, or desperately not wanting to play because he's an international sportsman. He wants to play
1: Test cricket. He wants to perform for England. Um, so, and I would also just say quickly, I think the other big misunderstanding about Archer is that people always sort of... People quite, I, think people, I think pundits and you know, coaches, whatever, have talked about the need to be giving every ball the effort ball, every ball... 100% because sometimes it feels like when he's in a rhythm, you know, he's bowling at 90 plus effortlessly and then suddenly he's just bowling at 85 and people are asking, why is he only bowling 85? We need him to bowl faster now. And I think Mike Selvey's spoken with quite a lot of sense on this as his Archer's bowling coach. I mean, I'm lifting this right out of Rene's article. I hope he doesn't mind. But basically people who say this sort of stuff about why isn't he bowling at 90 all the time don't understand the demands of, bowl, of bowling that fast and about the fact that it has to be in bursts otherwise you just can't your body can't sustain it and so there's a fair amount of ignorance around there and you'd you hope that root and you know his coach and that sort of thing would be able to cut him that slack have his back and maybe a tiny bit more than they have this winter it's it's what i feel yeah you right, got and, and you
0: build and up more won. stamina to bowling longer quicker spells so you look at you look at Bumrah, who's got an unusual action anyway and is a bit of a freak of nature as it is but he started to bowl longer spells the more he's play test cricket and he came very much on a similar route to Archer through the shorter formats first because he stands out with his variations his ability to bowl Yorkers and bowl very very quick Yorkers at the end of innings um, but it started to sort of grow into that bowling longer and longer and longer spells and uh, you know and he, we see what happened with Pat, Pat Cummings as a case in point because he's one of the best fast bowlers you know this the world's seen over the last 20 years and he burst onto the scene as a teenager against South Africa absolutely ripped up trees, did brilliantly bowled too much, got injured and was injured for a long period of time before coming back where they used him in fits and starts and bursts until he built up into the the point now where he is in many ways number one pedigree fast bowler I mean complete specimen of a man and can bowl longer spells Mm. but given Joff was carrying an injury, given you know, he's not used to bowling extended spells at a good pace. That's something that doesn't, yeah, it doesn't just happen overnight. Uh it is it's frustrating because it's just another classic example, and we did speak about this and what motivates them and why, of England managing some, basically your your players that aren't like Paul Collingwood and Alistair Kirk, who aren't your honest, hard-working, will just dig in and make the most out of their you know, their talent, but not bags and bags of talent. When it's a player with a mercurial talent, or they maybe, maybe kind of have slightly different attitudes or ways of going about things, then thinking of a Kevin Peterson, a Monty Panesar, we just seem yeah. to be really poor at managing them. And this seems to be such a kind of rigid way of looking at players and they've got to fit a certain team mould. It certainly brought a lot of success under Andy Flower but you always thought his setups were overly stringent on players and restricting. But yeah, he just wasn't anyone with a bit of common sense and a bit of flexibility around the rules. You know, why can't Joffrey train less? Why can't he get on a different training programme? He doesn't have to play every game like other players do. Why can't he miss out? Because those kind of things they don't seem to know if he's 50 he plays, if he's half 30 he plays, if Everyone is always there, always plays. You know, Freddie Flintoff bowled through injuries. You know, Brookhoff was not Freddie Flintoff, so treat him differently. There's, do you know what I mean? There's such a lack of um, understanding and wisdom around sort of individual player management like that sometimes. And it's, it's really frustrating because I just think it means we don't get the best out of our best players.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, hopefully it will prove in the future. Um, and you would hope, you know, a new coach you know, really starting to make a stamp on the team, it might start to improve. Um, Well, and they can
0: can learn from this pretty easily. Lesson learned. They've now been fortunate enough, Joffrey's now got a long time to recover with the coronavirus outbreak. It kind of feels when cricket restarts, a complete reset for everyone. Like, it was a new era, a new start. Um, And so there's easy lessons to learn. Listen to him. Manage his workload.
1: (laughs) and, And let him flourish. I mean, I mean, and he's won every time. And he's found his World Cup medal. So, happy days. Oh, I that, you saw that. Story. He lost the move flat, and he's now found it. Oh, that, that is good news. I'll I, I sleep better with knowing, knowing that. Very so, so worried about it. He's just been tweeting a lot about how he's actually quite enjoying lockdown, because he's getting to play as much Xbox as he wants, and he's having a nice time. So, at least, wow. he's pretty happy at the moment. His elbow's probably healing up nicely.
0: Yeah, well, that, 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 is, that is good to know. Go on, let, let, let's finish, then um this is our last little bit on on some of the on some of the limited over series uh, they, they were great in so many ways there was obviously just 2020 series in new zealand 2-2 final 2020 tie super over against new zealand again england won again 3-2 series win and then south africa uh, a 1-1 draw in the odis with the middle one being rained off and then a a fantastic 2020 series again between England and, and South Africa that was a real kind of one to one to remember. There was that first one where England lost, what was it, four wickets and five balls and still needed seven off seven and somehow managed to lose by, by a run. Um, and then came back with some, you know, a great win chasing down over 200. Uh, sorry, I'm just about defending 200, sorry, in the second one before uh, um, chasing down a, a Mammoth, 2-2-2 in the third 2020 to win the series 2-1. There were some some examples of where limited overs cricket is is fantastic, isn't it? Over those two series.
1: No, it was wonderful. Incredibly tight. Backwards and forwards. Quinton Kock was a gun. And we're very fun to watch in one day as a limited overs. No, it was, it was seriously fun. Um, listening on the radio to us chase down that Mammoth total. I think it might have been in the final ODI. Besto and Roy just teeing off. as Yeah, incredible. final 2-20, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Final T20 was amazing. All right, this was a uh, very fun Rob. It's nice to come off the long run of England sometimes. Yeah, it is,
0: and it's. I'm pleased still sure to discuss, of course, as the, the lockdown looks to be lifting. We can think about uh, well, what does um, and what might the England team look like for our next game? But I feel that's kind of a futile discussion at this stage, whether it's so far off in the future. But uh, you yeah. know, and, and how do England look in the different formats going forward? But certainly, as a as a winter, it was a. Uh, there are some positive steps for England. And, um, well, yeah, but nobody, you feel any momentum that's been gained kind of is lost by, by this extended break. But, but who knows? Well, fresh start. Just like us with this podcast. Indeed. Well, till the next one, Michael. Have a good one. Thanks, Stay
1: safe. Stay safe, everyone. And, um, yeah, chat to you next week, mate. See you, Rob. Bye.